That's right. I and, and the way I feel about it, it could be her looking at her jawline. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but but it makes sense that Dolly would have this persona uh, that she has created that is the Dolly Parton we know, uh, whereas there's probably a real Dolly Parton that nobody even mm-hmm. knows or recognizes her when they see her. I don't know what you think about it, Connor. But. Oh, well, I think she's just about to be able to divorce Dolly and the Dolly. And that way, do you know, in such a way that, uh, you know, she's one of the most homely entertainers, you know, in terms of somebody that's been able to stay consistently at the top of that world of celebrity and still be, you know, sort of very wholesome as a person. Right, right. Do you know, and then... She's uncompromised. Pull up that picture. I want to show it to you. I'll I'll do it while he's talking. And at the same time, do you know, not be able to let the fame poison the relationship she had with her family. Do you know, I've not really, to be honest, seen any, uh, no, anybody else in that whole world of celebrity be able to do it as well as hers. So, I mean, it, it does only... To remain a real person. To, and, well, in order to, you know, maintain a real perspective that way. There, that's her there. She's they about, look too young to me, I don't know. But she's she's been gushed up to the eyeballs with plastic surgery anyway. Well, this is just important. <clears throat> we need the internet to help that's us figure her, this yep. out. So the question is, is the one there on, that we see... On the left? Yeah, on our left. Uh-huh. Hold the thing straight. So I, I don't know. I, I, it could be. No, I, I, I actually do think it's hard now to be fair. Shit. What convinces you about it? Well, because once somebody goes starts going under the knife, I mean, it's hard to put any you know, normal standards of how to judge their age... On to them anyway. I mean, like, you take the like of Michael Jackson was just like somebody out of their space fancy, you know, got <laughs> went down that rabbit hole. Like, been cut up so many times. So even if she was 75, I mean, that doesn't mean that, you know, she couldn't look like that. I mean, she looks rough compared to what we're used seeing for Dolly Parton, but at the same time, if she is 75, to be fair, she does actually look quite well. I was about to say, if that's her without makeup, she looks great. Oh, why? No. Yeah. She's not smiling that she looks a bit cross about something, but to be fair, she just she, she still looks the part now. <laughs> oh no, I'd, no, no, I'd be, I would really admire that woman. To be fair, I don't think, I don't think I could be all, all hands and spread the love and all the way she is. But at the same time, she's somebody I would sincerely admire a lot. The major, the majority of people that just does take over their life that way. So if she's been able to exist with two. Completely separate personas like that. No fair play there. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Connor, I hear you were recently at a Trump rally. Oh, yes, I was there. Give us right. the Irish perspective on a Trump rally. Well, I suppose there'd be the Irish perspective and then there'd be my perspective. The, 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 the problem is the majority of people in Ireland hasn't really any uh, concept of conservatism or freedom in general there that type of way because the, 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 
and, and, and all truth, all of our political parties would just be somewhere on the spectrum of wishy-washy leftiness. Do you know, all, all of the people that would have had that sort of that sort of frame of mind, you know, has just been scattered across the four corners of the earth for the last hundreds of years. So the majority of people think, oh, Trump, God, he's terrible altogether. But, oh, I was a big fan of his. I was somebody that I had a lot of admiration for from the start. But, uh, you know, at the, at the same time, uh, you know, as much as I was impressed with his one and all the rest of it, I think he's past his pick. I, I, this is something I'm wondering, and maybe you could fill in too, Winston. If you think, um, I think there's a connection between the need for this feeling of safety and for power to get concentrated in a central authority so you have more and more government. And I think that once a civilization has hit this point of like just a whole bunch of prosperity and security and safety, safety becomes more and more of a priority over liberty. And so if you get a prosperous nation for long enough, it's going to veer toward authoritarianism. Well, I mean, in a less maybe political advanced way of thinking, just think about it. And the herd instinct is that there's safety in numbers. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying, if you federalize some system, maybe the herd instinct in human beings feels like there's safety in numbers and a strong leadership and... Uh, but but this numbers all being clustered together, you don't. It's the gazelle that gets separate that gets eaten. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, but and it takes. It's against a human, a human's human nature, I guess, to to go off and do something different. Yes. And get away from the pack. Well, whenever whenever you start to you know, when whenever you start to be too general about you no know, rules, that's going to apply to everybody. I think what ends up happening in a broader sense is you just end up mobilizing blame in such a way that nobody's ever accountable for anything. No, and I think that's the problem. I think the reason that a lot of people's anti a lot of what Trump talks about with regard to, you know, personal freedom and things like that is not, no, they might oppose it and try to ruin it and tear down and all the rest, but that's not because they don't want it for themselves. I think it's more so the fact that they wouldn't know what to do with it if they had it. So then they just sort of are jealous of people that have that do have made the best of it then. Because I think in somewhere like America where your attitude sincerely does dictate your outcome for the most part, unless you have no arms and no legs and you know, you're just, you know <laughs> An invalid, yeah. Uh, do, do you know do you know that uh, no unless something like that was holding you back? Well then yeah um you see, if I think the thing about it is I think I think just the, the useless people are sort of a bit more aware of their uselessness and then they can't. And then they can't accept it that type of way. So then, they, you know, I think people sort of got. You no, know, some of these people has just sort of got a lot. You no, know, deeper in their their belief that that's Nazism's the you no know, the right way to go. But at the same time, I mean, it's. But we, we, we did go to a Trump rally about two weeks ago. Connor mm. wanted to take me, and he had a couple of tickets, and I went. And as we left, we didn't talk about it while we were there. What what. It seemed to me was that there was a element of energy that was lacking mm-hmm. that I had expected to be there. So when we left, I told Connor, I said, you know what? I think his day is done. Mm-hmm. I think the newness is worn off of mm-hmm. Trump. I, I I was a Trump supporter both mm-hmm. both times that he ran. Uh, and I think part of his problem, this is my opinion, is that he has an arrogance or appears to have an arrogance or in reality has an arrogance. And people generally don't like t- 
to like arrogant people. Mm-hmm. That, that, as a matter of fact, they want to dislike them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a there's a verse in the Bible uh, that I think of, and it's a haughty spirit goeth before a fall. So there were people that were out there hating him for the same reasons they just don't like Hillary. Mm-hmm. By that I mean her attitude, and 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 even though I'm a Trump supporter, I would like to see someone. Way more with a human face. Like or DeSantis. A compassionate face. Maybe that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. An humble face. For me, mm-hmm. DeSantis has a has an humble air about him, mm-hmm. which I think will take him very, very far, mm-hmm. even to mm-hmm. these undecided voters. I, th- I think it's a big deal. I don't know what Connor thought about it, but... Well, I mean, I think it's just the fact that, you know, although a lot of the people that was voting for Trump and the like of Texas, who you know, who would normally be sort of fairly humble, wholesome type of people, do you know, in general, yeah. do you know, and do you know, that, that, that's sort of one of the surprising things about Trump's appeal that, do you know, for somebody that does, as you no know, arrogant and loud and, you know, sort of, uh, big a sort of street fighter as him, was able to actually get the appeal from people like that, which was unusual that way. But, you know, at the same time, I think what people's main problem was wasn't so much the individual candidates, but more the fact that the whole process has been run just like a personality contest, Mm. you know. So I think people was happy to... uh, I I mean, I don't think there was anybody in an ideal world that if they were asked the open-ended question, who did they think would make a good president for America, that Donald Trump would be somebody who would roll off all that well many people's tongues. But at the same time, I think there was just this general thing that people thought, right, you know, we're fed up of this been run like some sort of reality TV thing, and he was making the points that they wanted to make. Do you know, I think, I think people felt he's, it. Yeah, he's resonating with the with yes. the true desires yes. of, of at least we know half of the Americans. Yes. Here's something I think is interesting about Trump. So I usually like about uh, I like most of the things he says. Um, I feel like he is a different animal than like the military industrial complex and and like these deep ingrained oh there's no doubt about it. he's he's on a different team than than them he's on Trump's team and so in that way he's helpful but he's he just kind of worships himself but what we saw yeah, with him becoming president was it was a wrench thrown in the machine and his, his machine. Well, you know, a wrench thrown in the machine of, of like, the deep state military of, of the complex. usual, yeah. Of the, yeah, of the Jeb Bushes and the, yeah, yeah. the Bushes oh, absolutely. and Clintons and yep. all the people who knew Epstein. You know, is yeah. a wrench thrown in their machine, and now it's, like, clunky and falling apart, and no mm-hmm. one believes CNN, and everyone's going to alternate media like Joe Rogan. And no one believes what they used to yeah. go to for news. I think Trump helped start that by just totally. mixing it up. Yeah, you know, because nothing mainstream is accountable to any values. He got rid of the controlled opposition because mm-hmm. once he became what Republicans are, Republicans were no longer the same. You know, a separate side of the same coin of of the oh, it was just too deep different. state. Yeah, and he's a quacky, weird guy who who he's completely arrogant, but that also makes him completely confident. Mm-hmm. Which is what he needed completely to be a and completely fearless of them. Yes, mm-hmm. and so it made it, it like it messed up the machine, and now I think when the machine would try to talk about it, he was just go fake news, fake news. Yeah, and it caught on with Good. enough people. Were like now that's starting to grow and grow, and I think we might see candidates on both sides, like both political parties, who are more in favor of civil liberties and freedom of speech 
and decentralizing information. Uh, another thing he did different than any other conservative-sided person ever before him was he used derision and insults. Yeah. Which was, uh, what is that thing called? Is it, is it rules of the left or rules of the something that... What's any late night TV show? No, no, no. I'm right? saying that that is a tactic, if you will look online, of the left is to is to denigrate your enemy. Yeah. Oh, I know yeah. what book you're talking about. I can't remember the name of the guy, but it's like from the 60s. It's like, some, uh, is it Chomsky, like rules of uh, Chomsky, engagement? Or, yeah. Someone, someone from Chicago politics or yeah, something. Yeah, who said, you know, one of the main things you do is you insult your enemies. Rather than yeah. having counter arguments. Yes, and, and no one on our side had ever done that until Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah. and it they, worked. They were That's always true. gentlemanly, and it worked. It made them look... Like everybody screamed fake news, fake news, fake news. Yeah, but you see, that was that. Was it about them looking gentlemanly and that? You see, the whole, normally, the whole thing about no conservatism as just that you're doing it for yourself and you're focusing on doing the things, you know. So these are people that's had to sort of, you know, work out how to get on with people. Do you know, and how to sort of, do you know, get themselves on by doing business. compromise. Yes, do you know, and I think that's Trump's problem, maybe in a personal way, that he's never had to compromise with anybody but... At the same time, in terms of, you know, being able to fight fire with fire to get that cause drove through, I think that does what made him the ideal candidate at the time. But at the same time, I think, I mean, I really hoped that it was just somebody that was sort of, you know, putting a model citizen routine to the one side. Do you know that, do you know that type of way? He just wasn't, he wasn't trying to go with any persona, just, he was just hammering the points down. But at the same time, I think, as time went on, I think he was... Uh, it was fairly disloyal to a lot of people that wasn't loyal to him that way. I mean, I yeah, think it, who were very good people yeah. like Pence. Uh, and, he was, and he was disloyal to Thomas Massey. So they were going to do the right. biggest spending bill in American history. And Thomas Massey said, no, we're going to have to go in person if we're going to vote on this. Mm-hmm. And Trump called him up and threatened him and said, this is going to be the end of your career and all this nonsense. That's what got people tired of Trump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yep. he, he, turned he was on too used like to saying you're fired. They were just yeah. fed and up you, with the circus. You can't fire everybody when you're head of the free world. You have to yeah. negotiate and compromise. Right. And, yeah, yeah. So I know. It was, it was very peculiar because he had that book, The Art of Negotiation, and apparently he hadn't learned much about negotiating on a gigantic scale. No. Yeah. Maybe negotiating. But he had weird places where he was super strong, like his foreign policy. Right. Where he would make the North and South Korea friendly for the first time ever. I know. Right. Yeah. He was, he's such an and he was getting along great with Putin until all the fake Russiagate stuff, and he had to back off from that relationship. But they they had a. Do you remember at the beginning yeah. of his uh-huh. of his presidency? Right. So he had he had you know like everyone he had his good sides and his bad uh, sides. No, well, he was. Well, like that's a, our perspective from going to the Trump rally. Yeah, you know? yeah. I know. I think well, we were both fans at the start, but I think just we. We would probably agree we just haven't quite the same admiration, quite the same level of admiration as what we had. Well, well, we tried to analyze him and see where were his vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it makes a lot of people angry if you talk about it. Mm-hmm. Really does. They don't want to hear about his vulnerabilities. Well, people, yeah. well I mean, people think of it, I mean, it just as the only option. They're, they're just not, they're just strapped to the Trump train. There's nobody's <laughs> going to push them off. Right. <laughs> Well, they, oh, we've had this idea for so long where the only alternative to your party is the other party, and it's like anything but the other party. Yeah. And so people clamp down on, on Trump or, like, 
the whole Biden CDC Corona narrative is just completely ridiculous. At but this it, point. it's now worn out. We're oh, talking. Yeah, fe- seven out is, of ten Americans are done. This is February yeah. 2022. February the 13th, I guess. Is that what? Four, it is? Yeah, 14th. Yeah, 12th. Today's 12th. the 12th. Okay, 12th. It's so you know for for the future when this is looked at, the country's worn out with it. I mean, it has no traction now that whatever the cd says cdc says it's totally disregarded by everybody mm-hmm. i mean it really yeah. is by the majority of people and mainstream news is being disregarded in favor of alternate news like joe rogan because even if joe rogan mm-hmm. gets things wrong you get the sense when you're listening to him this guy isn't lying to me right mm-hmm. he, he and he says i'm dumb i don't know anything and then he interviews specialists and and professionals and so Mm-hmm. A lot of times the the Washington machine will try to impeach his credibility by talking about, oh, how could you go to Joe Rogan for information about this, this, and that? But Joe Rogan is interviewing professionals like Peter McCullough and, and Robert Malone. And so it's improper to try to impeach Joe Rogan on him not being an expert when he's interviewing experts. Right. Oh, no, I mean, I think his niche definitely has truth that way. Do y'all think, so earlier we talked about how it's, we're herd animals, and so it's scary to go away from what the whole group is doing. On Joe Rogan's interview with uh, Robert Malone, Robert Malone talked about this theory of mass formation psychosis, which is what the Nazis were going through. But it's where so many people, if you can get enough people to be thinking some ridiculous thing in the same direction, Mm -hmm. you can get momentum going in that direction. Give an example. Uh, Nazism rising. Okay. You, know, you, you get the idea that like... But, German- it, but it wasn't a ridiculous idea, really. I mean, for them at that time, they were a defeated people group yeah. who had uh, very, very uh, difficult terms placed on them by the rest of the European powers in America. And, and there was a desperation in what they, they were doing. And they had fear and shame from World War I. The fear and shame from World War I, and they reacted with Nazism. That yeah. was the catalyst state. Right. I mean, and the time, and the time was no... Clear plan. People are no clear leader. People will follow anybody. Even well, see, if- here's my here would be the mass formation psychosis. In the same way that World War One put everyone in this desperate, ashamed state of consciousness, uh, COVID. The media tried to get COVID to do that also, and it worked for a while. Mm-hmm. And people were willing to wear these masks and be mandated and be locked down and all this. Uh, and so I'm, I'm saying in the same way that World War I was able to open up Nazism, do y'all think that COVID has been able to open up authoritarianism? Uh, I think... Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, everybody talks about these things, you know, that you know, the government's listening onto their phone and the government's just trying to do this, especially, especially for them. I, I, I'm not sure if I believe it's that there's somebody saying, right, we are just going to make everybody love and shite. I don't, I don't really think there's a, no, a design regime like that. I think it's just that there's no clear leader at all and they've sort of fell onto that way of going by default. Mm-hmm. You know, but the only thing that's going to do that's going to sh- sort out that authoritarianism by default that way is a true revolution at this stage. You no, know, across the world, and it's not, it's not just even one country over another at this stage because over the course of likely the last twenty years, all countries across the world's got a lot more similar than what they were. Yeah. You know, one of the one of the side effects of having a more globalized economy is like a loss of you no. Know, 
traditional values and you know local culture that type of way everybody's a, a lot more similar that way the way they they think the way they go on the way they talk the way they you know everything that way well they they, they become more unified and what yeah the, the herd the herd's gotten bigger uniform it's like the herd now is is most people in the world oh why and so they're all thinking and talking the same way like oh yeah yeah we must put on our masks and yep um, COVID really did that mm-hmm. with international travel and getting around from, you know, going into restaurants and, uh, and it now has come to the point where you still have, let's call the, the radical controllers. They're in there. They're still the ones screaming, where's your mask on? Yep. Uh, <laughs> like a bus driver, the random bus driver or yep. someone in a Walmart that, that hollers at you when you walk in. Well, at this stage, it is just material for people to be the control freaks that they are. It's not really, you know, <laughs> I mean, and the, the, the only people that's really, you know, really getting it and dying from it at this stage of the game is people that are either severely overweight, they're big smokers or drinkers or that, anyway. Some comorbidity. Yeah, I know there was odd ex- there was exceptions and things like that, but at the same time it was... I mean, I think people who know that they're they're not well knows what they have to do to protect themselves, but mm-hmm. I think in terms of trying to put them type of laws out for everybody else at this stage, I think it's, I think it's past its peak. I think we should just accept it's another disease that's among us like everything else. You know, that's basically like saying, I think don't love, you can't, you make dice. I think it's not much more than the common cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Omicron sunk their battleship. Cause How? Everyone's vaccinated, they get Omicron anyway. Yeah, yeah, they're done. And then it doesn't kill anyone. Right. Mm-hmm. And everyone's gotten it now. Right. And so, you know, even all these Karens who want to yell at people <laughs> about masks and everything, even they are like, well, I got it, and my vaccine didn't stop it. And it wasn't much worse than a cold. Yeah, and, and I have a friend who's not vaccinated, they got it, and they were just as symptomatic right. as I am. You're right. I Really, Omicron did them in. Which is funny. So, I was thinking about this. More and more evidence is pointing to this virus having been made in a lab. I don't know if y'all were aware of this. No. Uh, they've, they've tested 80,000... Uh, animals in the web market, none of them had COVID. Um, there was a soil sample that was tested by some scientists in Eastern Europe that contained COVID, like from the lab or something like that. I'm not sure the details of it. More and more people are thinking it's a lab theory. And so it's looking like this thing was created by man, and then the solution was just Mother Nature. And, and, oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah the, well, well, Trump said it was created in China. Yeah, that I mean, was his, his thing, the Chinese virus, he called it. <laughs> Did y'all know, according to Senator Rand Paul, there's actually, uh, there's at least three of these virus labs in the world right now. All of them are still being funded. The one in Wuhan still being funded. And there's one in Galveston, Texas, and one in North Carolina. Have y'all heard about that? No, I mean, I haven't heard it. for... For where they're doing this gain-of-function research. They're taking viruses, these bat viruses, and trying to make them more contagious in humans. Why, why are they doing that? What is the, their argument is they're saying that uh, it's a, they need to do this before it happens in nature so that they can be ready for it. That's the argument, right? That sounds, right, right, right. Oh. It sounds like the, the plot to Jurassic Park, you know? Or it's, it's like, well, let's leave this alone, guys. Like... Are you just because something can be done doesn't mean it should. Yeah. But, but your contention is is that nature itself has wiped out their scheme. Yeah. I think Omicron sunk their battleship. I think That's very fascinating. I think that there's it's no coincidence that... I mean, we've had two years of this, right? Right. You have Omicron and then there's Canadian truckers. Right. You know. Uh-huh. I think that movement was able to get so much... And, and the Canadian truckers have had everything against them, and they're still, they're two weeks in, and they're bigger than they've ever been. They had their own government saying that they were Nazis, 
and terrorists and alt-right and homophobes and the whole list of things that authoritarians throw at people. And they're just truckers that want to be free. Yeah, they had GoFundMe, withdraw the funds, all the funds that were sent to the truckers. Uh, Give, send, go then was uh, raised nine... $9 $9 million. Is any of the money going to the truckers? No, it keeps getting shut down. Some Bitcoin. $5 million of Bitcoin has gotten to the truckers because it's like blockchained and no centralized authority is able to stop it. Interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know how all that works, but... But, but that's sort of our perspective February the 13th. As such, but the... Um, what, else, what else were we looking to talk about? You were looking to talk about evolution. Yeah, we could talk about evolution. <laughs> you had some questions you called me with the other day. I did. Well, yeah. well, you you were saying that you believe it. Yes. Well, I, I'm 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 sh- I'm sure to butt on the fence. I've sure sh- sure to two two theories on the thing. Well, number one, I think the one man and one the first man and the first woman is probably uh, out of anything we could come up with. Probably the most plausible. Now, how the, how they got there, I men. That's sort of sort of anybody's guess whether it's, it's no whether it was just God dropped these two people on the earth, or whether it was you know, was there such a thing as like some sort of an explosion or some sort of chemical reaction that you no know, happened so long ago on such a scale that you no know, nothing like that nothing of its like has happened since mm-hmm. do you know so do you know we have nothing to base it off or come up with any theory of do you know. Because, you know, there was these reactions that happened that, you know, just as not like anything on modern science that was able to, you know, generate some sort of bacteria that became well, a human. Well, well I'll, I'll jump far, farther down the chain. Uh, down the evolutionary chain. Yeah, down the evolutionary <laughs> chain of the conversation to say that the thing that's always bothered me about <clears throat> the theory of evolution is it just defies all of the laws of thermodynamics. It thinks, mm. If things are always in a state of going to greater chaos... <clears throat> and higher entropy then how I'm going to ask you how how do you think evolution is plausible or possible okay because of entropy yeah so entropy the way it works is there's going to be more and more chaos within a system over time now that's talking about like the whole universe in general but that's ignoring having more energy coming into the system <clears throat> more energy coming into the system then the energy can cause more organization to happen within the system. So the thing that give me an doing, example of that. So the thing that would be doing that in evolution would be the sun. The sun's bringing in energy. The energy's making food. These organisms are eating food. Okay. Um, and so the organisms, their bodies are able to to get rid of viruses and to re, uh, to duplicate themselves. And so basically, the that's the issue with that is. Um, as long as energy is going into a system, it can stay more and more. Uh, well, let's just think about like this lamp right here, okay? Um, if if you locked up the system, eventually it would run out of power and right. the lamp would go out. But right. because there's energy coming in, the lamp stays on. It warming the room, making yeah. things happen. And like eventually the light bulb could go out, but then you could open up the light bulb and put it. You exert energy to put the light bulb back together mm-hmm. and then zip it back together, put it back in. Or exert the energy to get a new light bulb and put it in and uh, to manufacture that new light bulb. Well, I, I just so, say we don't see things going from least complicated yeah. to more complicated. Well, like, we, we don't. Not in nature. No. Well, like where... So what, what do you think humans started off as? So that's a difficult question because 
every generation of human is slightly different from the one before it on a very, very small scale. Uh-huh. Even from your own parents, you have an average of 60 mutations that they didn't have. Yep. Most of those are going to be in what's called your junk DNA, and so you won't see... Uh, junk DNA doesn't encode for proteins, so it's not going to really affect how you work. But with every generation of a human, there's going to be about 60 of your... of Piece, chunks of your DNA that are different from your parents. Yeah, but you see, the the bit the bit that we that sort of has us thinking this evolution is a, a load of rubbish is because you know certain families are do sort of progress at different rates. You know, within the space we'll just say for for instance a hundred years, that could only be two. That might only be two or three generations in one family, but it might mean seven in another. You know, depending mm-hmm. on whatever people had children and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, but over the course of you know about fifty thousand years, like that's you know, uh, no, like two and a half times the two and progression. Half, of, two and a half times the progression. So, for example, whatever they talked about, you know, men evolving from you know these creatures that were sort of a bit like monkeys or whatever else. You know, like where's all the you no know, the half monkeys, half people. Um, so the way evolution works, I'm going to grab a sheet of paper. I'll be right back. You know, but like, where did the... Like, keep, uh, keep you, 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 know, you know what I'm saying. Like, so where, where are the missing links? So like, where's, where so like, where's great-great-granda monkey and then, no, great-great-grandchild human? Yeah. Do you know? Where's well, the ones in the middle? Do you know? Oh, well, you, maybe, maybe you'd say the same place as me, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, that's a legitimate but, uh, question. Do you know? I mean, uh, they, they bring out one skull and then build an entire uh, supposed race upon this one skull. Exactly. Maybe it could be a deformed skull from whatever was there then. Or uh, do you know? Or uh, no? Is that the theory? I mean, are we evolving as do you know? As the the biggest people? Are they the? Uh, no, are, are they the most evolved? Do you know? Or, or do you know? As skinnier people? Are they just do you know farther down the line in evolution? I mean, is that the way it's working? Or, I mean, I don't know. All right, so here's how it works. And I'll put it on the camera in between y'all. So you have, this would be some kind of a, we'll call him prim ape. Okay. Mm -hmm. Here's prim ape. Like a primitive ape? Yeah, so this is going to be like a a pre-ape organism. And as this one... As we go through the generations, there's a split off, and this would usually be because these th- this population would get separated from another. So, like maybe a flood would come in and separate the two, By or, mountain range or some something. group of them migrate somewhere else. So these ones split off, and they end up becoming all these modern great apes that we see today, like a chimp, orangutan, yeah, orangutan, and gorilla. Okay, this one split off heading toward modern humans. And so you have us, uh, Homo sapiens, and Neanderthals. And there's some other ones too, but I don't remember who they all are. Um, and so the question, why aren't these in-between guys still around today? Um, 
One way of answering that is to say we are in between guys. Well, or even just evidence of them. And like we're on our way to oh, fossilized there is form. There's all sorts of like early human There's not much. Fossils. Not much. There's not there should be bucket loads of them out there. Well, I think there might cool. be bucket loads of them out there. I I have never Have you seen them? No. Um no. and most fossils anyway, they're just not um you know, the vast majority of creatures that have ever lived uh, died without leaving a fossil. But surely there would have been some. Let's say that something but, existed 100,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Why wasn't there a Mount Vesuvius that has that has preserved all of those people we can see just from 2,000 years well, ago? Well, even about 100,000 years ago, that's when a lot of evolutionary biologists say that's around the time modern man developed. Okay. Uh, right. About 100,000 years ago. What's interesting, though, <coughs> is there seems to have been this huge jump in technology and art and culture around 10,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like a massive jump. Like all of a sudden people are burying their dead. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. I mean, it's just like, 10,000 years ago, which yeah, is just really, really recent. Years. Yeah, like uh, Epic of Gilgamesh is 6,000 years old, I think. So that's mm-hmm. our earliest literature. Uh-huh. Gets us about halfway to where culture seems to develop. All right. So why do you think the first humans looked like them? Well, it depends where you want to draw the line on which one's the first human. Well, uh, do, like, do, do you think it did just start, start with two people? Uh, there potential, so people have argued about whether this line of, of, of creatures ever got down to a single man and woman. Um, and, and Adam I'm, and Eve. Yeah, is, and Adam mm-hmm. and Eve. I'm not sure if that ever happened. Um, I've read an article saying that they believe that there was a huge drop in the Homo sapien population when they were in Africa still at one point down to like a tribe of like 300. But there's also a book that was written more recently than the article I read by a guy named Josh Schwamadas who argues that you can show that it's possible that all modern humans came from a single man and woman. And... So, like, in, in terms of evolving, like, I mean, did these people just grow out of the ground then, or what? Well, hold off. Let me say one more thing about Josh Swamidas's book. So, this <laughs> book, uh, written by Josh Swamidas, uh, has been reviewed by even secular scientists, and they've looked through the whole thing and said everything about this that science checks out. So, and Josh Swamidas has even said this isn't even uh, necessarily my own beliefs, but it's just to show the wide range of what's put up. Of poten- giving credence, say potentially, to the Genesis stories. That yeah, if you wanted to look back into the past and say, I think there was a time when it was just one man and one woman. There's no evidence that contradicts that completely. Mm-hmm. But then, do you know, if one man and one woman was essentially able to grow out of the ground, then how come there isn't the odd person still just, you know, sort of coming out of the water or something else? So that is kind of more of a question that's directed at what's called abiogenesis, which Uh is where did the first life form come from? Yes. I don't have a clue. (laughs) And even the, uh, what's the, the top, one of the top experts in the world on this, his name's Jim something, I can't remember. But he talks about even the simplest life form imaginable is like 40 encyclopedias of information. It's like so complicated. So highly complicated. Yeah, and the best you can do electrocuting, you know, primordial goop is get amino acid chains, which gets you nowhere near, you know, a living, a living organism. Yeah, which is odd. And as a Christian and also an evolutionist, I don't like to ever uh, 
I don't want to ever be in a position of what's called the God of the gaps argument where I say, I don't know how this happened. Therefore God did it. Um, but it's, why, why, why do you not want to be in that position? Because then there's some new discovery and they figure out how it happens without God. And then I end up feeling like an idiot, mm-hmm. you know, being like, Oh, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed, I, I, I look at it a little differently. I don't uh-huh. see these theories giving me anything more credible mm-hmm. than the Genesis, Genesis account. I mean, I'm not saying I believe in a new earth, but a, a, an older earth where God truly created a man and a woman that were unique, mm-hmm. that were made in his image. To me, that 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 requires probably less faith than, than you to have faith in these theories that you're believing. Well, and even with the theories like I'm Goop believing... becoming alive, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so even with the theories I'm believing, if there was a biogenesis that happened without God's intervention, let's say, Right. Some lightning just happened to hit the right way. But then I say, well, who made the lightning? Well, I was about to say, or who, yeah, who made even the chemical properties within the goo that allowed the yes, lightning to exactly. do what ended up happening. So what I'm getting at there is something bigger than what can be hit with a God of the gaps argument. I'm getting to what are called the universal constants. And that these certain, that seemingly arbitrary numbers that are just a foundational part of the universe that are just there and they're all balanced with each, with each other and no one can explain why. So for example, one of these would be the rate of expansion of the universe and what's called the gravitational constant, which is the force of everything crushing together. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that our rate of expansion is balanced by a factor of 10 to the 128th power. And if you changed it like in either direction at all, either the universe would all crunch in on itself or it would have expanded so fast that stars couldn't have So you're saying it's in perfect balance. It's in perfect balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that can only be an architect that creates perfect balance. Mm -hmm. Well, so that's that's called abductive reasoning where we use, uh, we can't know for certain, right? Because it could always be something else besides God. But we go... We don't know what this is, but all the other, well, it, it, with inductive reasoning, every other time we've seen something that was this well designed, it was done by a mind, right? Yes, we yeah. are, in our experiences, yeah. humans. And so we go, from there you go, it's more probable that a mind did this than didn't. And it might be that I'm wrong about that, right. but with the data that I have right now, the evidence turns in that direction. Yes, into a creative mind. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Other ones that are balanced with each other are the strong nuclear force, the weak nuclear force, and the electromagnetic force. And then other physicists have like divided it up into even more gravitation, uh, even more universal constants that are all balanced with each other. Yeah, but if if you ever want more on on those arguments, you can get that in a a book called uh, uh, Modern Physics and Ancient Faith by Stephen Barr. See, I look, I look at it in a grander scheme. I think that the Genesis account from the Hebrew mind, and, and I'm not a Hebrew, I'm not Jewish, but from what I've read, and I, I have, you know, Robert Alter's uh, translation of the Bible. Mm-hmm. He's a Jewish scholar. It's a really good translation. Is that the, the, the whole Jewish concept does not really dwell on the, the how or the when of creation, but on the who. Mm-hmm. That was what was radically different in the Jewish account was the fact that it was in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't say when it happened. It doesn't say how it happened. That is unimportant to the Jewish mind. Well, and here's something else, right? So when Genesis was written, they weren't in post-Enlightenment Europe. 
So we, ever since the Enlightenment and the scientific revolution, we've gotten very, very obsessed with the idea of functionality and how something functions. And so here's an example between the, of the difference between our minds and an ancient mind. Okay, Mm -hmm. let's say that there's water boiling in the other room. If you ask a modern person, why is there water boiling? They would go, well, there's convection and there's heat coming from the electrons that are running into the, the metal coil of this oven and it's going upward. And it's, it's exciting water molecules. It's exciting yeah. water molecules. If you ask an ancient person, they say somebody wants tea. Mm-hmm. That's why there's water boiling. <laughs> Just a bit. It's the, the end result. The key to that is one that's called teleological thinking, where you go to what's the purpose of something and then the functional thinking. And that teleological thinking is what's missing a lot in modern Western society. Absolutely. We don't know mm-hmm. why we're here, what our purpose is, what we're, what we're supposed to be What are doing. we supposed to be doing? Some people, they get like money, sex, and drugs to try to fill this gap of answering the deep questions. This, I, the purpose gap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a purpose gap. What's my purpose? Yeah. Oh, well, it's not even a matter of, you know, just I don't think people even ask that question in the first place. Yeah, they don't even know to because none of our media ever asked the question. That's true. But you go to like an ancient society and everyone was living in these loving communities addressing those questions all the time, singing hymns or whatever they were doing, right? And even if they didn't have a religion that we thought was correct, they're still dwelling in those questions. In some kind of community talking about these things. In a way that we don't with, you know, reality TV and just junk. It's like like we've replaced, you know, healthy food with junk food. That's very You're saying, yeah, healthy thinking with really unhealthy thinking. Yeah, and even though they didn't have modern technology and they weren't as good at making new tech, they were able to live much more fulfilling lives by yep. by focusing on much deeper issues. Well, mm. well, I think there's been a bit of a baby with the bathwater thing in terms of the decline of the religion that type of way. Mm-hmm. Do you know, because I think so many people just associated, you know, these values and that with the brands of religion. I think a lot of religions, well, I suppose I'm t- talking about Catholicism, but at the same time, like, I think it was uh, like a brand that was built to appeal to a, tar- to a certain target market based on a collective fear. I think it was... Kiso- was Kiso- T- totally. I think, and yeah. I think Catholicism, the, no, the, the fear that they hooked onto was non-conformity. And I think the fear that the original Protestants would have hooked onto was conformity. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Sorry, yeah. Do you know? Now, after you, now, after you have the, such a big group of non-conformists, then obviously they are actually no conformists that just doesn't like another group of conformists that type yeah. of way. Whenever, you know, whenever there's enough of them, then that type of way. And it's just, you know, like they always say, there's nothing a true, no, nothing a group of non-conformists hates more than a non-conformist who doesn't conform to the rules of non-conformity. <laughs> But <laughs> to chart that out to understand it, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. But you know, like that, <laughs> no, that, that, I get what you're saying. You know exactly what I mean. But that's the um. But but I mean, I, th- I think that's where you no, know, where, where the brand of religion and where where they got their hook. I mean, I think there's a thread of consistency through all of religions. You know, whenever they like a like what Christians would talk about, you no know, prayer, and you no know, Buddhists would talk about. No meditation. Or. They would talk about karma and things like that. Mm-hmm. No, and whereas these people that's mad into yoga, they would talk about the law of attraction and things like that. But you know, the bare bones of these, you know, they are core facts of life. You no know, certain things like you know the fact that you'll get out what you put on. No, and different things like that. 
But then you just put, you know, they put a, put a lot of reverence anti traditions in that as well, you know, just to sort of write, well, th- this is very true, so, you know, this must be true then. And, you know, it's that gap between the two where these individuals were able to, you know, assert this authority and this wagging fingers then over people, which, you know, just over time, I think, just drove people mad in the finish up. But, you know, after the decline of that, I mean, it's, I think it's just been... I think it's just been threw out and it's been replaced with nothing else, but I think you're you're really, really missing that foundation of really any values at all now in the modern world. The new religion is to try to broadcast to everyone how good you are by showing that you have a mask on and mm-hmm. calling out other people for being racist. And mm-hmm. That's the new religion, and it doesn't have that... The new morality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't have that old quality of let's get together and all sing a song together and see each other's faces. Well, no, what it doesn't have is, is the old quality of objectivity where there's this third... Yes. This, this third objective standard by which people live I'm not going to live according to how Karen tells me to live but by that me as a a believer in the holiness of scripture to live the way that God intended for man to live I I, I say that, that man has three needs he has the need to be loved and accepted to have value and worth and the need to fit in and I think that within in the framework God made a way for man to enjoy all of those three needs being met Independent, really, of a person doing that for you, or yeah. Uh, in the, in the case of uh, value and worth, it's through self-striving, depending on God. But I mean, actually getting out and doing something, not telling the kid that he's smart and he's he's gifted and talented. And the the child will never think of it in the way of a family. A child will never have a self-esteem just by telling it telling him that he's smart. No, or that well, he needs that self-esteem. Oh. That child needs to go overcome hardship and accomplish something. A child experience. And, and, and accomplish something, and that's where, that is where self-esteem is born. Of, of course it does. Do you know what I mean? That's, well, we're saying it, of course, but I mean, society now tells mm-hmm. us that's not the case. Well, I mean, a clear reflection just to, you know, back up what you're saying would be like, all these political dynasties or, you know, like celebrity dynasties or these, you know, the, 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 I mean, the amount of people, you know, that would say say they worked hard to set up a business or something like that, and then they give it to the children, and you know it's a way into liquidation in less than a year. <laughs> but you know, but that's true because you know the, the children hasn't they haven't built the thing up, or they, they have no knowledge, uh, no wisdom. It's on like how lottery to... winners, yeah. Well, they're yeah, no, like a lottery winner. Well, yeah. they've, well, they've no they've no wisdom of it. They don't appreciate it. They don't you know sort of respect it. They don't really you know know how to you know keep it going for what it is. You know. That co- co- overcoming adversity also works in the like interrelational aspect of being human, where you need to. A lot of times, relationships are messy, and mm-hmm. you have to. You, you feel sick with anxiety, but you have to meet with this person, and you have to address your issues with that person, and figure out your crap. But mm-hmm. we live in a day where it's like, oh, I feel slightly, you know, in danger by this person d- blocked. Deleted. I don't have to deal with them. I'm going to block them. Yeah, you don't see them face to face. I'm going to cancel them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll cancel. Yep. Cancel you don't live everything. in this uh, communal, you know, we used to be in like little tribes of people and, and your tribe was how you lived mm-hmm. and you had to all trust each other and you had to work together. It's kind of a, it's kind of a <laughs> parallel of rural life versus city life. In a city, well, the- you can be anonymous. But in rural life, you have to get along with you're, people because you're, you're going to see them down at the grocery store. You're going to see them down at the feed store. Mm-hmm. You, and, and so there is a tendency, I think, in a rural society 
to have a more civil society because mm-hmm. people have to deal with one another. Mm-hmm. You're yep. going to see them tomorrow. And, yeah. and you have a certain discomfort of your own if you hadn't worked out differences. And I think people who live in the city try to fill in those gaps of loneliness and the need for community and the feeling of security you get from a community with more authoritarianism. And yeah, so, yeah. That's why you see like big cities will drift toward having more government control yep. where people Definitely. who are out in the country relying on each other just want to be left alone. And that wouldn't be just an American thing either. I mean, I think that would be fairly true everywhere that, you know, rural people would vote for more conservative things and, you know, or... And they would be more independent. Is uh, that they the would, case in to, Ireland? Uh, that would be in general. Well, well, like I said earlier on, there's nothing really for, you know, country people to say, you know, this man really speaks for me. But at the same time, you know, in terms of the people's way of thinking... You know, I mean, rural people would definitely be more, more to the right, and, you know, city people would be more to the left, that type of way. They're, they're just reared a different way, you know. And by right and left, within that context, you mean having more government control yep. versus less government. Yeah, yep. leftism, I think the he's one. saying, would be totalitarian control yeah, yeah. at its you extreme. Know. It gets slippery, right, because we have just the left and right perspective, but there's all sorts of, mm-hmm. you know... Well, do you know, I suppose then in the city, whenever everybody sort of threw in together, do you know, like, do you know, when you have these big housing estates and things like that, do you know, you can make more general rules that's going to apply to everybody, whereas out in the out in the country, the majority of people, do you know, that live there, especially people that live by choice, that type of way, they're just, their attitude really is, do you know, leave me alone. Do you know, so the majority of people who think like that anyway, even if they're born in the city, do sort of tend to end up out in the countryside. Yeah, that do, makes sense too. You know. You know, and, and plus the fact, and then you have other people that's maybe brought up in the country and they say, I hate this, I yeah, just like, want to be anonymous. Yeah, first, the chicken or the egg, yeah, right? I, well, it's because the people who hated that went to the country to get away. Yep, that's true. Do you know, so, I mean, I, I, mean, I, th- I think that's a fairly, common, a, a fairly common thing anywhere. I mean, you, you would see it reflected in politics there, but, mm-hmm. I mean, I, th- I think it's just a, it's a, it's a fairly simple fact of life there, that type of way. And I, I mean, I don't think that's, I don't think that's something that you can just go about changing. I think it's, I think it's probably more of a personality thing than anything else, you know. But I always says the way that you could change that would be if you use your education system to, you know, try to teach people to maximise the best use out of whatever freedom that they do have. What's the difference between Irish and American culture, if there is one? Like, what are some big differences or mm-hmm. that you've seen since you've been here? Do you know there's a, there's a lot of similarities now? To be fair, I mean, I, I do think the two the two people just want want the same things. Mm-hmm. Do you know? I think they're well, well. It's hard. It's hard to just say America. I mean, I think there's. I definitely think there's Texas and there's America. There you go. Yeah. That's do you know? True. Do you know? That's the truth. Yeah. Do you know? So I would say like but the the liquor the liquor what what they have in terms of their freedom and things like that out in out in do you know the liquor the arsehole of Texas would be. No, what we would probably want for ourselves if it was engineered right, mm-hmm. and an Ireland there that way. Oh no, obviously, and 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 an Irish type way. I think. I mean, I think I think in terms of the political side of things, uses de- I mean, uses uses definitely. I mean, a, a hundred times more dynamic than what we would be that type of way. I mean, I think, and uh, culturally, I think. I mean, I think that there's a a lot more of a distinct culture in Ireland because. There's hardly anybody except Irish people that way. Do you know, we wouldn't really have all that many immigrants or anybody like that. Do you know, especially about Toma. I mean, and that's, 
that's, that's, so it's, you're it's saying very, it's just kind of the way it's always been. Yeah, it's, very, it's very non-cosmopolitan that way. I mean, right, I mean, right. and that's because we haven't a hell of a whole pile to offer. That's the truth. But at the same time, no, I mean, in terms of the people, I mean, I think, I think they're both they're both fairly friendly people, fairly generous that way. But uh, do you know, at the same time, I mean, I think, I think, I think the Americans think they're a bit more. A bit more structured, a bit more procedural in terms of sense of humour and things like that. Whereas I think the Irish were just maybe a bit, a bit madder or whatever, whatever way you want to put it that way. How about music? What kind of music or... Is it just the same music as everyone in Texas is listening to in the United States? Ah, well, the mainstream would be popular enough, but, uh, well, you know, there was an owl. The owl Irish music would have been, you know, would have been your, your fiddle banjo accordion that way, you know, but I mean, that 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 that, that owl culture that you would have had of, you know, me, me, Is that me. disappearing with globalization? Aye. Or is it still, yeah. That, 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 that's what granny and granddad was. You know, the, the, this culture of, oh, you know, here, here's me. Here, here, here's me, me, me granny sitting in the wonderful playing the fiddle, and there's me, uh, there's there now. We'll give the dog a pint of Guinness, and we'll, you know, just, <laughs> we'll, we'll, I'll just, I'll just gather up for the night's crack, so, you know, and make our own, uh, you know, the, 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 really all we have in terms of that culture left now is what we've been able to howl onto. Do you know what I mean? There's no like consistent mainstream Irish culture anymore. Not really. Do you know? You know, it's all it's, Justin Bieber and Taylor Swift. Aye, uh, among the young ones it would. But you know, a lot of the young ones, even the way they would talk, they'd sort of like sound American. Hmm. You know, like... Uh, they do it on purpose. For whatever reason, whether it's just they've watched too much of the television or whatever it does. Maybe so, maybe they're yeah. programmed by American TV. Well, that, that's say it's very... Po- you see, because there's they, not... They, they've not heard Granny talk, they're listening to the <laughs> TV talk. You see, because there's not been any strong message of this is what Ireland does this is what, I, what Ireland's about ever do you know there's not really do you know we're, no reinforcement there's cultural no reinforcement there's no cultural reinforcement to make us anything other ever than just a carbon copy of these bigger countries mm-hmm. do you know what I mean and we do have do you know because we've been we were subjugated and oppressed just so much do you know and there is this sort of slave mentality that we're just a wee bit too quick to accept anything else has been better you know just because it's not us do you know what I mean you see that like in in Central America too where they'll just gobble up American culture or you'll even see it on on a smaller scale like with Americans who grew up in a small town and they'll claim that they're from a larger town they're embarrassed to say they're from a little town yeah Uh, they'll they'll hide where they're from and why why do you think there is that embarrassment exactly what he's saying right Oh, they just, they, they want to be a part of that bigger, more impressive culture. And that's what you're saying about uh, Irish culture. How Coulson. Ireland is. They, they mm-hmm. whether consciously or unconsciously, they just want to be they a part say, of that They say, no, we're from story. the big city. We're not from the little town. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you see, I think that's reinforced to a, to a greater level in Ireland there, that type of way, just because, hey, there's nobody standing up for anything else. And because, you know, B, we've no concept of any leadership at all, even, ba- even really, you know, bad leadership. Well, isn't this though reflected in what you say here? You see much more entrepreneurialism, which yes. is which is really individualism when you think about yes, it. Yes, it's individualism yeah. for anybody who wants it. You know, and just from taking from risk taking, risk taking from. But you know, not 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 through any type of you know of these. We talked earlier on about family dynasties, or you know, my dad got me into this. You know, or I had these contacts, or I met this at university or anything like that. You know, just ordinary people who have the brains or have the ideas or whatever else are just able to 
make it happen for themselves. Well, you, you know? You've met a handful of people that had no family connections, yep. had no family wealth, mm-hmm. and they've created uh, great businesses. Yeah, honestly, that, that greatly appeals to me, that, that American dream, you know, it's just it's always bigger, big house, big car, big, you know, big stakes, big guns. Big personalities, <laughs> big bellies, yeah. big everything that way. But you know, there, there, there's a growth mindset there that type of way. Whereas at home, we would have like a scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but scarcity. Let's not lose what we have. Instead of let's we, risk it and try to the, we risk in, it for the brisket. That's we the, that's we in Ireland as well as Britain and more or less the rest of Europe are think about our history. Your lives, on the other hand, is punctuated by your philosophy. It's more about what can be as opposed to what has been. Yeah, it's very interesting. Do you know? But at the same time, I think there's there's a good balance. We actually, if it, if we were run right in Ireland, would have a great balance to be struck. Do you know? Because in America, there's no. It's not. It's not that there's. It's hard to have any cultural consistency because there's so nearly everybody's come from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Right. The, the whole thing is just about, the whole country is just based upon... An ideal. And they have people coming and making their own ideal. Mm-hmm. And I think this is why you'd have a lot of, you know, people, you know, children who's been reared in America and that, they just really haven't a clue what, what to do with because they don't know anything else. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Right, absolutely. Do I'll you know, tell you where you still see strong fighting spirit in the Irish is like in the lower class, you mm. see these these uh, international fighters that are just amazing. Like, like Conor, Conor McGregor, eh? Yeah. And Tyson Fury and mm-hmm. oh God, I, I mean you would. De- I mean there's certain there's most certainly Irish people that has made it very big. You see, and I mean I think well, it's so disproportionate, right? Mm-hmm. Like think about how many Irish people there are in the world, then think about how many of them are like top fighters. Exactly. Well, like there's to- there's top fighters. We have some of the best uh, entertainers, some of the best uh, uh, jockeys. We have great songwriters, songwriters. Uh, do you know, like uh, entrepreneurs, IT people, do you know, like across the board, do you know, this is just the thing, do you know, but that is the, the class of people that got out, yeah. the, the, no, them might be the people. They got out of the crab pot. Yes, exactly. And okay, that, explain what, he mean, what you, you mean by the crab pot. It's just this, you know, cons- Cons- consistent like, like whenever, whenever the, the fishing men did take out a lock of crabs and all the crabs are sitting in the pot they're all trying to get out but at the same time they're all trying to pull any other crab that's trying to get to the top of the pot yeah. out at the same time they, they don't want anybody else to get out before them that type of way mm-hmm. I mean and that's what we've ended up with a crab pot culture but I think for the exact reasons you're talking about you know and uh, you know, Conor McGregor's a very good example that way and you know the amount of and Billy Joe Saunders there's a bunch of them no the amount of bail that he would get no, like the the people of Ireland would, you know, d- jump onto anything, no, just to bring him down and say that he's he's the Antichrist altogether. Oh, that's terrible. Uh, oh, they they would altogether. No, 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 he's not. <laughs> no, no, he's a bit mad. I mean, yeah, he's not the. <laughs> I wouldn't want him to babysit my daughter. You know? <laughs> uh, oh no, he's a, he's a bit of a character, all right. But but at the same time, you know, the people. I think part of the reason that Ireland does have the international reputation that it does is because of the people that left as opposed to the people that stayed. Do you know what I mean? Because that fighting spirit that you're talking about, which does exist in us and our hearts, is based on you know people who fought for things which was mostly outside of Ireland. And that's why people think, you know... God, God, the the Irish are great that way. No, it's them people that made that type of, you know, reputation happen, the ones that left. 
Do you know, whereas the majority of people stayed would be fairly subjugated on it now, to be fair, and fairly happy to accept that. I think anywhere you have a group of people, the majority are always going to be people who want to play it safe. You know? mm-hmm. That's so, true, that's even here. Enough. The fighters and the riskers, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that that's still appreciated in Texas. Well, yeah. I think this was a good but podcast. If, but if we, if we could hold on to them people in Ireland then, I mean, I think we could have a truly, extremely amazing wealthy country I mean if we could just there's find there's no reason it couldn't be there's no reason if it was organised right if you could ju- even if that was only point point 0.1% of people and they were able to stay they would be the people who would make the good jobs with the good wages and the good quality of life for everybody else and we would have a, an incredible country then because it wouldn't take as much to sustain it do you know, it's only a small plus anyway. So I think you were going to wrap it yeah, up. Yeah, you were going to wrap, wrap it up. Wrap it up there. Thank you guys for coming. That's it for this episode. 